You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by BetDSI. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Alikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 245 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. Looking back at our last event, Kyle Marley's premium bets for UFC on ESPN 7 won 4.23 units overall after winning his plays on Aspen Ladd and Joe Selecki. Kyle has his bets and fantasy MMA picks available now on MMAOddsbreaker.com. Back to the present, UFC 245 features a 13-fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN2, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on Fight Pass is a middleweight contest between Puna Haley Soriano and Oscar Piahoda. Soriano 6-0 and Piahoda is 11-2-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout-outs before we get rolling here. First off, BetDSI.eu. That's our official sportsbook sponsor for the Oddscast, so make sure you head over to BetDSI and check them out. They have a great sportsbook. Also, head over to MMAOddsBurger.com. Click on the Premium Picks tab and check out Big Marley 3's Premium Pick selections for this weekend's UFC 245 event. The guy is one of the best cappers in the world. And right now, currently available at MMAOzbreaker.com, we have UFC 245, his DraftKings analysis, and he also has UFC 245 Play of the Month available as well. So you do not want to miss this. This guy is one of the best cappers in the world, as I always say. Uh, he's up over 260 units the last 18 months, and he's looking to cash in even more this weekend at UFC 245. So make sure you check out Big Marley 3. It's well worth it. And also... UFC on the line, the UFC Fight Pass show. We just did another episode this past Monday um, with Yanni the Greek, Brendan Fitzgerald, and I, along with Jason Symbol uh, as well. So make sure you tune in to UFC Fight Pass and check out our breakdown for UFC 245. It's an awesome show. Show us some support. Go in there and comment. Use the hashtag UFC on the line to communicate with us and uh, give us some feedback on Twitter as well. So make sure you check that out. Now, getting right into this card, getting into the first fight of the night, this is going to be a doozy. Soriano minus 145, Pahoda plus 115. That was the opening line. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently minus 115 either way. So this fight's exactly sitting at a pick'em. And I'm looking across the Don Best screen, and we're seeing that this fight's sitting basically at a pick'em across the screen as well. So a lot of two-way action coming in on this fight, a lot of split opinions on this fight as well. I mean, what you have here really is two finishers that are going to come in. They're going to throw some leather. They're going to try to get this fight to the floor. They're just going to try to utilize every aspect of the game. But again, most of, more than anything else, these guys are really finishers and they go out there and, um, offensively, especially, they're definitely capable of doing some good things. Pahoto on the feet. Um, he, he's a little bit underrated, honestly. I mean, he mixes things up pretty well with his hands and his feet. Um, he's got a decent clinch game as well, but he's definitely hittable and Soriano packs a punch. I mean, that's what he's got going for him here. I think as far as punch, punch goes here, if they're start exchanging or trading, I like Soriano to kind of win those exchanges. On the floor, both these guys do have a ground game as well. Soriano obviously wants to wrestle and get on top when he does, um, 
get the chance to do so. Um, he's capable of doing that as he's proven before as well. So there's again, a lot to like about these guys. It should be a wild fight. I mean, you can't be confident either way because I think again, offensively, these guys are both finishers defensively. I think they're both flawed and they're still developing a little bit. So this is going to be a test for both guys. I don't expect it to kind of play out all that long. And I'm going to side with Soriano because I, I really, more than anything else, I think he's the new blood. He's the fresher meat. And I think he's going to come in here and probably put on a, a show for at least the first part of the fight. That's all I expect it to last. So not a confident pick. And it's a tough one for me to bet. I'm personally passing this fight. I'm not touching it either way. Um, but I do think it gets done inside the distance here either way. So my pick is going to be Soriano to get it done. And I'm right with you. Uh, Soriano, um, he looks great in his first few, uh, appearances on, uh, Contender Series, uh, smashing his opponents in about four minutes each. Um, but there were some question marks about his, uh, conditioning, but he actually, uh, answered those questions by earning a decision in his last appearance on, uh, season three. So, you know, it wasn't the best performance, but at least he proved that he could go the distance. Um, now, uh, Pia Hoda, on the other hand, he was a guy that I was really impressed with when he first entered the UFC. I thought that he could potentially be a, a player in the middleweight division, but uh, he just has not been able to uh, get things going. Uh, you know, his his conditioning also has come into question, uh, particularly against you know Gerald Mearshart, um and also uh, Rodolfo Vieira uh, getting submitted there. Um, so. Uh, I've been less and less impressed with Pia Hoda, um, and I think Soriano is actually coming into this uh, and potentially catching him at a good time. Uh, so uh, I'm a little concerned about what happens if this fight does go into a third round because neither guy is very good with their conditioning, even though Soriano did win a decision. Um, I, I would expect, especially in a UFC debut, that his conditioning is going to be even worse just because the adrenaline is going to be really spiking. Um, he's going to be pushing hard early. Um, and Pia Hoda already has his conditioning issues. So um, I feel like Soriano does hit a little bit harder than Pia Hoda. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to side with Soriano. I think uh, if there's a finish in this fight, it's probably going to be knockout from Soriano. So uh, I'm going to side with him. I think he uh, gets a victory here in his UFC debut. Now, dropping down to the flyweight division, we have Jessica I, who is 14 and 7, taking on Vivian Araujo, who is 8 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Araujo opened minus 200, the comeback on Jessica I at plus 160. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently minus 180 on Araujo, the comeback plus 150 on I. So, line margins have tied up. Two action is coming into this fight as well. I mean, you're seeing Jessica I coming from a title shot and becoming an underdog her very next fight after that total shot. So she's kind of in that gatekeeper role right now for the UFC flyweight division. And, and that's kind of not a, a good spot to be in at, at the same time for, for her, I think this is a good spot to kind of get respect back. I mean, after that loss, it was a de- devastating knockout loss. She fought one of the best female fighters in the world on the planet all time. Really Shevchenko is just phenomenal. So not necessarily a bad loss. I mean, getting to that spot, but at the same time, she definitely wants to get back in here and show the world that she's still hungry and, and she's going to make another run towards the title, but she has her hands full for sure with a Rajao. I mean, a Rajao's looked nothing but, fantastic since she's coming to the UFC and better than I really anticipated. I mean, she obviously has a grappling background, but 
her stand up is getting better all the time as well. I mean, that fight with uh, Alexis Davis was very impressive. Uh, before that, of course, her win over Bernardo in her UFC debut on, on short notice as well. I mean, there's a lot to like about her. Like I said, the improvement she's making by leaps and bounds, I think, is something special to watch. So she's going to have some advantages as far as pure technique over Jessica in this fight. Uh, but I think as far as how this fight plays out, it's going to be relatively close. I think it'll be back and forth. Jessica has decent takedown defense. I think she's experienced enough on the feet. She's faced far better and much more of a threat than Arajao on the feet, at least. I mean, Arajao, I think, will have success against I back and forth. But again, I's been in there. She's been in there with tougher competition as well. So I think people are underestimating her a little bit in this spot. So I think this is going to be, again, just another one of these ladies' fights that are evenly matched. It'll go back and forth a little bit. Raja is going to look to take this fight to the floor, but it might be Jessica I actually getting top position at times as well here. So this is going to be a split decision type of fight in my mind. It's a dog or pass situation. Uh, and again, I know a lot of people are kind of counting Jessica I out right now. She's just kind of not the popular side to pick in this spot because the Rajah seems to be on the rise, but I'm going to go against the grain. I've only picked once against Jessica, and that was a Shchenko fight. I think she's that talented, and I'm not going to pick her against her here as well, so uh, I think people kind of seem to underestimate her, and I think she is a, a damn good fighter. She's going to come out here and prove it again, so my pick is Jessica to get the, the slight upset in this spot. I is a talented fighter, but the problem here is uh, she's got a lot going against her. Um, she's coming off the loss for the title, uh, brutal knockout loss. Um, and then she missed weight by five pounds. So, uh, and on top of that, she's facing one of the best up and coming flyweights in the division in Araujo, who, uh, debuted at 135 and knocked out Toledo Bernardo, uh, and then beat Alexis Davis pretty handedly in her last fight. Somebody that has already defeated Jessica I. So, you know, Araujo's got power on the feet. She has good technique with her stand-up, and she has good submissions. Um, I think it's just going to be a little bit too much for I. Uh, I is, uh, has some decent striking technique, but she just does not really have that much power. Uh, I don't think she has anything that is going to be really concerned about on the feet. And... Uh, if they're trading blow for blow, I mean, we've already seen Araujo knock a bantamweight out cold. Um, and we know Jessica I has some chin issues. Um, so I think Araujo definitely could be the one uh, to, to knock her out again. Um, I mean, realistically, I think the best path to victory for I is to ugly this fight up. You know, uh, push Araujo into the fence, uh, try to take her down. I know Araujo does have some good submissions, but... Um, you know, I hasn't been submitted in, you know, nearly a decade. So, uh, I think, uh, I could potentially utilize some of her improved wrestling to get a, a takedown in top position. But the, other than that, I think, uh, she could be in some trouble here. Uh, Araujo is just really, really talented. And I think, uh, I, uh, you know, especially after missing weight, it's just, it's not looking good. So. Uh, I'm going to side with Araujo. I think uh, she wins at least a decision and potentially wins by knockout. Now, sticking with the flyweight division and moving over to the men's side, we have Brandon Moreno, who is 15-5-1, taking on Kai Kara France, who is 20-7. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Cutter France, minus 130. Moreno, even money. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI 
Escar France minus 165, the comeback of Moreno at plus 135. So more action coming in Car France's way. Not really that surprised. Again, he's kind of the flavor of the month, so to speak, at this point. He deserves it, though. I mean, the guy's been around the sport outside of the UFC for a while. He's been kind of working up to, to this point. And now, since he opened the, the door and kicked it in, actually, and got on the roster, he's done phenomenal. So, uh, you, you know, you gotta love what you see in France, Car France, for sure. He's the type of fighter that's continuing to improve. Um, he's been putting the work in and he's becoming a really well-rounded fighter. I mean, he's, for me, he was more of a striking based fighter, especially early on in his career. But right now, I mean, he's got some wrestling, he's got some uh, takedown defense, and he's got some submission skill as well to go along with it. So this guy has become a complete fighter. His submission defense has gotten a lot better. And I, I'm just keep on saying that because I think that's kind of still if any area you can exploit in Car France is probably going to be the ground. But again, not easy these days to do so. But that is area Moreno is going to want to explore more than anything else here as well. Because on the feet, I think it's going to be Car France that kind of is more technical. It's going to kind of look to pick Moreno apart. Moreno is dangerous. He does have a little bit of power and he's more than capable of landing a big bomb and kind of shaking things up a little bit, maybe hopping on a submission after the fact. So I think you do have to respect Moreno. He is a, a definitely a dangerous fighter. He's still improving and getting better all the time as well. So uh, I think people are probably underestimating Moreno in this spot. I think he's a little bit too dangerous, at least for me, to bet the chalk on the other side. So even though I'm going to pick France to win this fight, um, because I think he can kind of follow the, the similar br- blueprint that Pettis did in their fight against uh, Sergio Pettis against Moreno as well. But, I, I mean, again, Styles make fights. Moreno learned, and he's probably improved somewhat from that fight of course Francis as well but I'm saying it's not going to play out exactly as most people think that France is going to have an easy blueprint to win that fight so he's going to try to follow that path but Moreno brings chaos at times and if he's able to do that in this fight he's going to probably find a, a way to uh, get in position and maybe finish this fight so for me it's a dogger pass situation, but I'm going to pick France to kind of outpoint Moreno and get the job done that way so the pick is France but again be cautious if you're betting this fight and I'm also going to side with France um, I know that Brandon Moreno is dangerous, uh, and if this fight does get finished, I actually feel like it'll probably be Moreno, uh, because, uh, he is very powerful, uh, if he can connect with something that you don't see coming, and he also has some sneaky submission skills as well. Um, we've seen him pull off some impressive stoppages, uh, most notably, I think, the Dustin Ortiz fight, a guy that's been competitive against some of the best in the world, and Moreno was able to not just beat him, but stop him, um... Uh, but in terms of actual skill for skill, uh, Kaikara France is the better striker here. Um, he's the more technical striker. Um, I think that he throws, uh, just the cleaner punches. Moreno throws a little bit more looping, uh, you know, a little more wild, out of control style striking. And when it connects, it can be devastating. But against somebody that is a very technically sound, uh, fighter with like a strong kickboxing, uh, ability like Kaikara France, I think that Moreno's, you know, wildness is, could be exposed instead. Um, we st- we've seen that against, uh, some really good technical fighters like, uh, Sergio Pettis, who really was just able to carve Moreno up a little bit, both on the feet and by getting takedowns. Now, I don't see Kaikara France getting takedowns, but I just think that he can get the job done on the feet over the course of three rounds. Um, I'd say Moreno's best path to victory is to force this to go to the canvas because uh, on the feet, France should be the superior fighter. Uh, but Moreno definitely could neutralize him on the ground because he can be pretty awkward there. So overall, I'm just going to side with Kaikara France, though. I just think being the more technically sound striker, uh, he's going to 
outpoint Moreno on the feet and get a decision victory. Although, if there is a stoppage, I think it could be Moreno. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Chase Hooper, who is 8-0-1, taking on Daniel Tamer, who is 7-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmakers perspective on this one? Hooper opened minus 155 to come back on Tamer at plus 125. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently minus 125. Hooper minus 105 the other way on Tamer. So, line merch have tightened up. There is two action coming into this fight. But early on, the action did come in Tamer's way. And across the Donbass screen here, we are seeing pick em fights. So, you you do have some people favoring Tamer out there. You do have some people favoring Hooper. And you do have some pick out there as well. So, basically, a pick market-wide. Tough one. I mean, and I'm saying that because I'm going to probably lean a little bit more towards Tamer as far as, I mean, he's a front runner. I think the guy is, is the more capable fighter, especially, um, skill set overall. I mean, if he could keep this fight upright, I think he's by far the more devastating striker. I mean, the guy has, like his brother, you know, offensively, he's definitely talented on the feet where he does have knockout power. He pushes a high pace, his aggression. He's got that killer instinct as well. Um, a little bit of everything offensively that you want in somebody that's going to go out there and go after it. So Tamer is like that. But the problem with Tamer is as the fight progresses, he starts to slow down. His conditioning does give up on him a little bit. And uh, without all that aggression defensively, he lacks a little bit as well, obviously, because that, you know, that's what happens when you're kind of going a hundred miles an hour, guns blazing in there. So, so that's kind of what Tamer is. He needs to kind of settle down a little bit, still get a little bit more discipline. He's he's getting there. I mean, you could see some improvements in his game too um, so far in his UFC career where he is getting a little bit more discipline, but he, he definitely needs to continue to go that route. Now, Hooper, on the other hand, I mean, it's obviously the ground is where it's at with this guy, and he's going to need to kind of weather the early storm, I think, in this fight and look to take Tamer's back or just hang him up and, and just utilize his length and his ground um, to, to – beat Tamer, I think, in this spot. If he's going to take the W, that's how he's going to probably do it. Uh, early on, I think that even though Hooper does have some length on the feet, and, you know, he's a little bit unorthodox, so it could be tricky to kind of find the timing and distance, but I, I do think that Hooper can present a little bit of some unorthodox problems or even in the clinch a little bit with Tamer, but I think Tamer is going to be the one, again, that's going to be landing the harder shots that's going to kind of be having Hooper on his back foot a little bit at times as well. And I think he's, it's up to him. He's going to be the one that dictates and controls this fight. If he makes a mistake, he's going to pay for it. I think Hooper's going to probably submit him. If not, then I think he's probably going to outpoint Hooper and win this fight and do some damage along the way as well. So a pick em type of fight, I think is kind of appropriate here because again, offensively, these guys are both talented, but defensively and there's just too many flaws. I mean, to kind of really depend on either one of these guys. So this is not a fight that I'm kind of jumping out there looking to bet crazy either because it's, it's just too difficult for me. I, I don't trust either one of these guys, um, all that much. So my pick is going to be Tamer slightly. I'm going to lean his way. I think he's going to, again, if he doesn't make that mistake, he should win this fight, but not a competent pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Hooper hops on, uh, Tamer and submits him along the way as well. So that's kind of where I stand with this fight. And it's going to be a difficult win as well. So watch it, enjoy it, and hopefully you guys do well. Yeah, this is definitely a battle of a grappler versus striker. Um, and obviously Hooper being the grappler and Tamer being the striker. Uh, Hooper, you know, he's a guy that's got some impressive submission skills, but on the feet, he also, uh, can take some damage. I mean, he really took a, took a beating before coming back. Uh, in his appearance on Contender Series, and it was an impressive comeback, but, you know, it was against a guy that was not as good of a striker as Daniel Tamer. So, um, you know, what's going to happen if he just takes a sustained beating? 
Uh, I know he's undefeated so far, but I mean, you could, that only la- works so long uh, if you uh, kind of have a strategy against really good strikers of just getting beaten up before coming back. Um, Tamer, on the other hand, is is a fighter that uh, can be a front runner, and sometimes he uh, punches himself out. He's done that a few times where he was doing really well, uh, pushed the pace too hard, and then ran out of gas, and then ended up losing. So this could potentially play right into Hooper's game, uh, or Tamer could just be too much. Uh, I mean, honestly, it could go either way. Uh, but uh, for me, I'm going to side with the Nick as well. I think uh, Tamer is just going to be too aggressive, too strong early. I know that Hooper has like a ridiculous like eight inch reach on Tamer, but I don't think that matters one bit because Hooper doesn't know how to use it at all. So I think Tamer just starts pounding Hooper early, and I think he gets the job done and gets the knockout. But if Tamer, if if this fight goes to a second round and Tamer is not able to get the finish, you might want to be looking at a live betting scenario to potentially put some money on Hooper uh, to get a comeback submission. I do not think this fight goes the distance. I think it's either going to be a Tamer knockout or a Hooper submission, uh, and I'm going to side with the Tamer knockout. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have Matt Brown, who is 21 and 16, taking on Ben Saunders, who is 22, 12 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Matt Brown opened minus 350, the comeback on Saunders at plus 275, and right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is minus 355 on Brown, plus 265 on the other side at Saunders. So, line markers have tightened up again. A little bit, and there will be two-way action in this fight. A lot of people, I think, are going to throw Brown in parlays. A lot of people are going to bet Saunders inside the distance if that prop's available, but your book. So another awesome fight because you know this fight's probably not going to the distance. Um, too much finishing ability, just too much. A, a little bit, let's see, let's say it like it is. I mean, father time kind of set in here with both fighters. These guys are definitely on Towards the end of their careers, to be fair, Brown hasn't been in there for a while. I mean, Saunders has been fighting a little bit more actively, but again, I think, I don't know if that's good or bad for him. I mean, he's had his moments where he's looked okay, but he still continues to take some abuse and, and punishment. I don't want to see the guy continue to get knocked out. And unfortunately for him, this is another spot where he definitely can get knocked out. I mean, I think that's probably the scenario here. Matt Brown's defense. I know Matt Brown's been training like a beast for this fight. I mean, he's ready to come in here. He's prepared and, and he's taking this fight very serious. Obviously, Saunders is as well. So so these guys are definitely wanting to, to get in here on one of their last fights of their career for sure and, and get the W. I mean, they want to go out with a bang, so to speak. So um, I'm not saying that this is their last fight. I'm saying, but we all know that this is definitely one of uh, their last fights either way. So that said, I mean, they're taking it serious. They're going to come prepared. They're going to come to win. I think realistically, these guys, again, offensively are, are fun to watch. Even Saunders, I think throughout his career, Saunders hasn't had enough respect when it comes to his stand-up game. For the most part, people think of Saunders, you know, with his overall ability, but his submissions on the ground are pretty slick. Um, but on the feet, man, I mean, when the guy goes up against other average type of average uh, strikers, because again, the elite level strikers, those are the ones that kind of get through and end up knocking Saunders out. But anytime he faces just a, a decent fighter, an average type of fighter, he ends up destroying those people, even on the feet. His clinch game, his knees are devastating. I mean, this guy definitely has some skill on the feet and you cannot take him lightly. So Brown has to be cautious here. I know he's going to come in here confident thinking he can knock Saunders out, which I think is going to probably happen. 
but you cannot take Saunders lightly on the feet either. So my pick is Brown. Like I said, I think he's going to probably find a spot where he's going to come in here and, and find that chin and just be too much for Saunders and put him on, unfortunately, for him yet again. Uh, but again, another fun fight because I think, you know, these guys are going to be all fireworks. It's not going to probably hit the scorecards. And realistically, you're going to see a finish, and it could go either way because both these guys are talented enough to do so. So I think it's going to be Brown that gets it done. And according to the odds, obviously, it, they agree with me as well, and most of you guys do too. So it's Matt Brown for me. And I'm also siding with the Immortal. Um, you know, coming out of retirement, this is a good matchup for him. Uh, you know, Ben Saunders is a veteran that, isn't exactly uh, spry either, uh, and he's pretty vulnerable with his chin. Uh, so uh, Matt Brown being just a killer on the feet with devastating power and a great pace should be able to catch Ben Saunders at some point and take him out. Uh, we've seen Ben Saunders put in situations like this already multiple times, and pretty much every time uh, he ends up getting stopped. So... Uh, that being said, Ben Saunders does have a skill set that could have a path to victory here against Matt Brown. Uh, if for some reason this fight goes to the ground, Matt Brown does have a history of having some issues with uh, good ground fighters with submissions, and Saunders is pretty crafty on the canvas. I don't see how or when this fight would go to the canvas unless somebody gets hurt first, but uh, if for some reason it goes to the canvas and Saunders still has his wits about him, he couldn't wrap Matt Brown up with something. He has a good rubber guard. He has some triangle chokes. He's got those long limbs. Uh, it's possible. Uh, but on the feet, uh, Matt Brown should be in control, although I will say uh, Matt Brown has been vulnerable to a good body shot throughout his career, and Ben Saunders does have some good knees in the clinch. Um, he has that Muay Thai ability. Uh, I don't think Saunders is as good as Matt Brown standing. I don't think he can take a shot like Matt Brown, but... If Saunders lands that perfect liver shot, that could be enough. So, uh, I played my devil's advocate there for Penn Saunders enough, but overall, yeah, I just think, uh, Matt Brown, uh, pushes, uh, Saunders around. I think, uh, Matt Brown gets in Saunders' face and lands some big shots and takes him out. So, Matt Brown is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Ian Heinish, who is 13-2, taking on Omari Akhmedov, who is 19-4-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Heinish open minus 130, Akhmedov at even money, and right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Heinish minus 140, the comeback on Akhmedov, plus 110. So, line... Did get tighter a little bit, and again, it's it's kind of heading, it looks like, towards Heinish, but it'll probably be one of those spots where you see two-way action and we see some dog action come back in and it'll bounce back and forth as well because I think this is another difficult fight. Not an easy fight to pick here. Not, I mean, f through the first few fights so far, they've been difficult at the betting window as well. So again, I think this is one of those cards and those spots that be patient. You don't have to bet every fight, and this for me is another one that I think I'm going to probably stay away from because I think there's just too much – question marks surrounding, I think, defensively more than anything else. I mean, Akhmedov, to me, he's looked really good. In fact, uh, he's starting to kind of grow on me a little bit because I thought more than anything else, the guy comes out and he's kind of one of those guys that's kind of a front runner as well throughout his career where he, he just he puts so much power into his techniques at times that he kind of wears himself out as the fight progresses. He's got the wrestling to go along with it, too. So it just kind of his style is grueling and it kind of wears you down and he does start to kind of slow down. But 
I think his conditioning is getting a little bit better. He's starting to get that experience, starting to settle in. The octagon is becoming more of his home, and he's starting to show it in his performances. So Akhmedov has never been better, in my opinion, um, for himself. You know, he's at the best point of his career that he's ever been, mentally and physically. So that's great to see. Heinish, on the other hand, I think he's kind of come into the UFC with a little bit of hype, and then of course. Man, he's he's had some pretty solid wins, and and I think that's kind of boosted him to another level, and kind of almost overhyped him a little bit. And I think that he's not quite what everybody thinks. Now, again, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy because I do think he's talented. He's a strong fighter. Uh, he definitely pushes a high pace. He's not afraid to get in there and mix it up. He's got some power on the feet. He has some wrestling. He's got some submission skill as well. So he's definitely a tough guy to deal with. And I, you know, his win over. One example is Antonio Carlos Jr. That's a very impressive win. Carlos Jr. is a really good fighter. So picking off fighters like that, Ferreira, Carlos Jr., you know you're legit with Heinish. But that said, I mean, he got derailed a little bit um, to the hands of Brunson last time, and it kind of brought him back down to reality. Now, of course, Akhmedov and Brunson are kind of different fighters, of course, no doubt about that. But I still think that Heinish got, a, got brought back to reality enough to make this, in most people's minds, a really competitive fight. So I think what you see is Akhmedov going to be a little bit ahead of Heinish as far as I think he's a little bit more dangerous on the feet. I think he is more than capable of getting some takedowns and maybe landing on top, but can he continue to keep the pace up? I think Heinish will make this a close fight, even if he is getting beat a little bit on the feet or if he is getting uh, beat to the punch, even in the wrestling aspects at times, I think he'll be able to reverse things. He'll be able to have some success on the feet. He'll be able to get where he wants to on the ground as well. So he'll make it a competitive fight. So this is another one of those that are going to be kind of a toss up to me. In my opinion, I know more people are probably going to lean with Heinish in this spot, but I'm going to go with Akhmedov. I think I like what I've seen a little bit more from him recently than Heinish. And again, that's kind of not being um, fair to Heinish, I guess, because he's looked pretty good as well. But I just think that Akhmedov is the better fighter of the two, honestly. So I'm going to pick Akhmedov in what should be another ridiculously close fight. So enjoy it. Heinish has uh, kind of made his career in the UFC out of taking on fighters that are more skilled than him and getting the win anyway, just because, he pushes a high enough pace, and he has a lot of heart. Uh, that's what helped him against uh, Cesar Ferreira. That's what helped him against Antonio Carlos Jr. Um, you know, I think he could have easily lost both of those fights, uh, skill for skill, but he just wore those guys down and uh, was able to uh, survive any uh, submission troubles. Um, now, obviously, Derek Brunson was a little bit of a different case. Uh, you know, he was facing a guy with a superior wrestling to him that could also, uh, go all three rounds, um, and was a pretty good striker as well. Uh, with Akhmedov though, I feel like it's another fighter that he can wear down. Uh, I, I do feel like the wrestling's gonna be close between these two, but Akhmedov probably is the better wrestler of the two. So, uh, I get Akhmedov starting strong, but we've also seen Akhmedov have a history of conditioning issues. Now, when those conditioning issues rear their ugly head um, is usually determined when or if Akhmedov loses a fight. If it happens earlier in a fight, like in the second round, then he's in trouble. But recently, he's been doing pretty well. Uh, Akhmedov has, uh, I think he's been able, he's 4-0-1 in his last five fights, so he's been able to avoid uh, any losses since moving up in uh, weight. And, uh, particularly, you know, he's looked good, uh, in that last fight against Zach Cummings. Now, he hasn't faced any world beaters in the middleweight division, so this is definitely a big test 
you know, Vittori was a good fighter, but, you know, that was a draw. Uh, this time around, uh, you know, he's taking on a top 15 middleweight. So we're going to see if Akhmedov is going to be for real in this middleweight r- uh, run that he's on. Um, and I just think it'll be a little bit too much. Uh, Heinish is uh, a big, strong middleweight. Uh, and Akhmedov has fought at welterweight before. I think Heinish can really force Akhmedov to work for every takedown. And I think that Heinish can just wear him out because that's what he did against guys like uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., who I think are way more skilled than Akhmedov. Uh, and a guy, and Car- Carlos Jr. has fought at uh, heavyweight before, uh, and especially also at light heavyweight and had success. So um, the fact that Heinish was able to wear him out really impressed me. And I think uh, if he could do that to, to Carlos Jr., I think he could definitely do it to Akhmedov. So I can see Akhmedov starting strong, but I just cannot see him finishing strong. And I think Heinish pushes a high enough tempo that uh, he just wears Akhmedov out. So uh, I'm going to side with uh, Heinish. I just think uh, the the scrappiness, the heart, and the conditioning get the job done for him over potentially a superior wrestler. So Heinish is going to be my pick. Now dropping down to the women's bantamweight division, we have Ketlin Vieira, who is 10-0, taking on Irene Aldana, who is 11-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Vieira opened minus 245, the comeback on Aldana at plus 195. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Vieira minus 175, the comeback on Aldana at plus 145. So line have turned up, mostly actually coming in Aldana's way. I get it. I understand it. I mean, first of all, Vieira has been off with her knee injury. She had surgery for quite some time. I mean, almost a couple of years. So I, I know that layoff alone is kind of scary to people. With that said, though, I mean, before that, man, you could really see some good things. She was on her way to becoming a legit title contender as well with Vieira. And I think she's one of the fighters that's only improving as well as she's kind of continuing her career. So the setback with the injury, of course. Never like to see that, but I think she's still young enough and still fresh enough in the MMA world that uh, I don't, I'm not expecting it to really hinder her all that much. And again, that ring rust thing that, you know, some fighters believe in it, some fighters don't. I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue for her here. So I'm taking that kind of out of the equation, but we'll see if it does have an impact there. Um, and I know, again, some betters are probably factoring that in a little bit, looking at Aldana's takedown defense and the, the way they match up a little bit. And this could be a good fight for Aldana, but I think realistically speaking, People are kind of counting out Vieira's striking ability as well. So what you have here, in my opinion, if you're looking at it for what it is, Vieira is basically your wrestler, grinder, grappler type of fighter taking on Aldana, which is more of your striking-based fighter. Um, but she has definitely evolved into a more complete fighter than that. I mean, we've seen her submit people on the ground, and her takedown defense has become, like I said, pretty solid as well. So two very good female fighters that this fight is huge. I mean, the winner of this fight definitely skyrockets himself up towards a title shot. So they both want to get there. And, and I think they're both capable of, of doing some good things as well. So that said, I'm going to lean with Vieira. I think she can get the takedowns. I know again, on paper, Aldana's takedown defense looks ridiculous and it seems like it's going to be a tough spot for Vieira, but I like the way Vieira can kind of strike her way in inside and get those trip takedowns and get those body lock type takedowns. I think she is going to probably land one. And once she gets on top of Adana, she's going to go to work. She's going to be able to control a little bit. It's not going to be, again, easy because Adana's very physically strong. She's not a small lady by any means, but I think still Vieira's going to be able to control that. And I think once it does play out on the feet, Aldana might have a little bit more success, but Vieira's going to be holding her own on the feet as well. And I think she's going to be the one that's kind of 
the more complete fighter and it's going to show because she's going to be able to put everything together and win rounds that way. So it won't be an easy fight. I'm expecting it to be grueling. So I get, again, I can understand a little bit why people came in and, and bid on the underdog. If you're looking at it on paper, you're looking at it, you know, for what it is right now, it does seem tempting, but I honestly think that the, the opening line was a lot more justifiable and I lean Vieira's way. So I think it's a favor to pass situation, especially if it's under two to one. I just think Vieira is going to control it. I think her stand up is going to be good enough to hang in there with Odonna as well. And I think she's going to win the fight. So for me, it's Vieira. I think she does get it done. Probably gets it on the cards, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she does get it done on the floor as well on the way to the scorecard. So either way, I do think she gets it done though. Vieira is my pick. And I'm right with you. If you look at who Aldana's faced in the UFC, you can kind of understand why her takedown defense is so high. You know, Leslie Smith, Caitlin Chukagian, Lucy Pudurova, Betch Kohea, Raquel Pennington, Vanessa Mello. You know, you're not going to get a lot of strong takedowns from those opponents. The only person that uh, she's faced that, that repeatedly wanted to take the fight to the ground was uh, Toledo Bernardo. And even in that fight, uh, Bernardo stood and banged for some stupid reason for a good majority of that. So, uh, if you go back, uh, you know, I was in Vegas when, uh, Eldana challenged, uh, Tanya Evinger for the vacant Invicta Bantamweight Championship. And, and I remember, uh, Evinger just repeatedly took her down, dominated her on the ground and ended up finishing her with a TKO on the ground or, uh, yeah, with a TKO in the fourth round. So uh, I know what happens when she faces a really good ground fighter. Uh, and I think that was pretty much the last time she did. Um, so uh, against somebody like Vieira, who I think would steamroll Evinger on the ground, um, that makes me pretty nervous about Aldana. Uh, now, on the feet, Aldana is good. I mean, she has great boxing. She has a good stiff jab. Uh she does not have the best defense, although it's improving. Uh, but, and, uh, Vieira, on the other hand, I think, uh, has actually made some pretty good strides with her stand-up. Uh, you know, it was, she was definitely a fish out of the water, and she's, she's still not, you know, elite on the, on the feet, but at least she's to the point where she's competitive enough to have her opponents respect it, and gives her an opportunity to set up her own takedowns. So, uh, how this fight plays out, I think uh, Aldana is going to, you know, probably get a slight edge on the feet, but uh, as soon as there's an opening, I think Vieira takes this to the floor, and I think that she controls it, whether from top position with a decision or potentially TKO or submission on the canvas. I think uh, Vieira does whatever she wants on the ground, even with some improvements in the ground game of Aldana, I don't think that they're even close to uh, good enough to, uh, to to be competitive on the ground with uh, Vieira. So Vieira's going to be my pick. Um, I think that she shrugs off that 21-month layoff like it's nothing. So uh, I will be picking Ketlin Vieira. Now, moving on to the main event of the preliminary card, we have a welterweight contest between Mike Perry, who is 13 and 5, and Jeff Neal, who is 12 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA Oddsmakers perspective on this one? Man, this is going to be a good one, no doubt. 
Neil open minus 155, Perry open plus 125. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Neil minus 240, the comeback on Perry at plus 195. So line margins have tightened up a little bit, more action coming in Neil's way. Of course it's going to come in that way. He's the better fighter in this spot. I mean, let's just say it like it is. I think he's a better striker. He's just a more complete fighter. I mean, I, hey, look, I have a ton of respect for Perry. I think he's one of those fighters that you do not want to face in the welterweight division because he's such a tough, hard-nosed, durable, in-your-face, powerful. I mean, he's just one of those guys that is going to not ever stop until you just completely knock him out or destroy him. That's the only way. You're going to have to make this guy physically stop before, I mean, he, he's just not going to quit mentally, I guess you could say. So uh, you got to love that in fighters like Mike Perry. So that's what makes him a very difficult guy to fight. And I think this is going to be one of those cases where it's going to be obvious that Neil, I think early on especially, is a little bit better because he's going to be out pointing and landing, I think, the cleaner shots on Perry along the way. But as this fight progresses, Perry's the type of fighter that just wears on his opponents because he's just, he's there. And he's going to, again, just not be easy guy to take down. He's not going to be an easy guy to kind of put on his back foot. He's going to bring that pressure. He's going to be landing some hard shots as well so this is going to be a difficult grueling fight as it goes if, if neil doesn't get it out of there early on then i think that there's going to be um an issue for him as the fight progresses a little bit so i'm not as confident as everybody else just jumping on neil's wagon early on i mean again the opening line i get it i mean if you got neil under 200 then you did pretty good i think overall because he can he should win this fight i'm going to pick him to win this fight but where the line is now it's difficult for me to bet him because i think it's just too tough to lay that kind of money against a guy like Perry where you know he's going to try to, you know, give it all he can for three rounds and be in your face. And if you, if you just slow up one, you know, one spot, he could jump on something and finish you as well. He can, you know, he's got that killer instinct for sure where he could just kind of turn up the notch and just uh, put you out. So I am cautious with Perry. I think he's definitely a good fighter and you have to respect him. And it's hard for me to lay two and a half to one against him in this spot. So my pick is Neil, but at this point, it's probably a dogger pass situation. And uh, I'm right with you. Um, I think uh, Mike Perry is a talented fighter, and he's definitely done way better in the UFC than I ever expected he would. But uh, Jeff Neal is pretty nasty. I mean, this guy hits hard. He has uh, four inches in reach on Perry. He's a little bit taller. Um, I just think uh, Perry's going to have his hands full. Um, you know, Perry got off to a really great start in his UFC career, but, you know, if you look, um, yeah, he's had some good, uh, fight of the night, performance of the night type of bonuses, but, um, it's, uh, he's still been losing. And I think, uh, Jeff Neal is a legitimate top 15 guy, um, very powerful brawler. And, uh, if they're trading punch for punch, uh, even though Perry hits hard, I think uh, Neil can take it, and I don't know if Perry can. So uh, I think this is going to be an exciting thing. I think uh, the reach advantage for Neil will be huge. Um, I think that he's going to be landing some good jabs on Perry, and I think at some point he's going to really hurt Perry, potentially knock him out. Um, so worst-case scenario, I think uh, Neil just does enough to uh, win each round. But uh, obviously you still have to be concerned because Perry does hit hard. And if he does connect with something nasty, uh, Neil could be going down. But uh, I'm going to side with Neil. I've been impressed with everything I've seen out of him so far. And I think that as long as he stays composed, uh, he gets the job done. So my pick's going to be Jeff Neal. Now kicking off the pay-per-view main card... We have a bantamweight contest between Peter Yan, who is thirteen and one, and Uriah Faber, who is thirty-five and ten. Now, Nick, 
Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Jan opened minus 265, the comeback on favor, plus 185. And right now, what we're seeing over at the Dom Best screen per bet DSI is currently minus 520 on Jan, the comeback on favor, plus 370. So line markets have tightened up. Of course, that line shot up. Peter Jan is definitely the more popular fighter at this stage as far as what, who people think is going to be maybe a, the future champion. I mean, he's had hype entering the UFC, and then since his UFC career thus far, I mean, he's looked phenomenal, and people are definitely hopping on that wagon. Of course, Uriah Faber, one of the all-time greats, UFC Hall of Famer for a reason. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. And pulling off, I mean, people continue to kind of count him out. He steps in here against Simone and gets the job done and gets himself – I mean, right back in the title mix right away. So after his little um, short-lived retirement or whatnot. So you can never count Uriah Faber out. I mean, the skill that he has, the experience that he has, he's definitely a threat for everybody that he still fights. I mean, you cannot, again, in any area, you cannot really real- realistically dominate Faber, even in the stand-up. For the guys that have outpointed Faber, that have done damage, the Jose Aldos, the Browse in his prime or whatnot along the way, um, they've even, you know, I mean, Faber's hung in there even in, in those spots and with those strikers, and he's had his moments in those spots. So what I'm trying to say is, no matter where this fight takes place, he's going to be a tough fight for Jan. I think everybody's going to automatically assume Jan's going to come in here, keep this fight upright, he's going to be bigger, stronger, and he will be. Um, and he should have the, obviously, stand-up edge, and he, again, he should have that edge for sure, no doubt about that. But I just think that Faber is just, he's a fighter, he's a winner, he's going to come out there, and he's going to overperform better than people's expectations. But will that be enough in this spot still? No, I don't think it probably will. Obviously, Jan should be able to control this fight. He should be able to, again, outstrike Faber along the way and get the nod probably on the scorecards more so than anything else. It's hard to finish Uriah Faber. He is pretty durable, but he has been knocked out before, and Jan definitely is capable of landing that punch along the way and maybe finishing him again. But more so than not, I think it's going to be probably Jan outpointing him. I would not lay 5-1 to one to find out. Again, Faber's going to go in there. He's smart. He's a, a savvy vet. If you don't think deep down he knows that if this fight hits the scorecards, he's probably going to get appointed. You're mistaken. I, I think he does kind of, I'm not saying he's not confident, but I think he's smart enough to understand the situation. And that's why it makes him a little bit more dangerous. He's going to come out here and he's going to throw that big bomb on the feet. He's going to look to jump on Jan's back and maybe submit him that way or he choke. So he's going to look to finish this fight. So if you're laying five to one against a savvy vet like Faber that's capable of finishing fights in this spot right now, you're insane. Despite Jan being the rising star and the, the potential title holder in the future for sure i understand the situation but again from minus 265 to minus 500 if you're getting on it right now you're insane stay away from it you don't bet peter Jan in this spot at minus 550 or whatever it is um right now i think it's one of those things that you just kind of watch it play out if you miss the boat early on or i mean if you're going to put him in a fun parlay or if you do see the line drop back down a little bit into the 400 range and you can throw them in a parlay or whatnot, I understand it. There's different ways to bet this fight is what I'm trying to say. But as a straight bet right now, minus 550, I would not recommend a straight bet on Jan. So the pick is Jan. I think he gets it done. No question about it. He should get it done. It's his time. This is going to be a good win for him. I mean, Uriah Faber having that win on your resume is definitely more than impressive. So he deserves it. I think he does do it. But just, again, another spot where you have to be cautious because Faber is – a legend of the sport for a reason. I mean, the guy's been in there with best and he's going to come to perform here as well. So the pick is Peter Jan. It should be a good fight. Yeah. And I got to side with Jan as well. Uh, it was amazing and nostalgic to watch Uriah Faber get that impressive, uh, really quick stoppage victory over uh, Ricky Simone. But um, I think that that was partially Simone being overrated uh, and overhyped, especially after we just saw him lose again to Rob Font. And just, uh, you know, 
favorite speed in the right place at the right time. Uh, Simone was a fringe top 15 guy, you know, around number 12 or so or 10. Uh, Peter Jan, on the other hand, is right knocking on the door for a title shot. So this is going to be a lot tougher of a fight. Uh, Faber is going to have his hands full. Um, if you remember the last times uh, Faber had compet- uh, was thrown in there against some of the best bantamweights in the world, it didn't really end up end that well for him. Uh, you know, he took on Dominic Cruz uh, for the for the belt, and he got you know he got beat pretty handily, uh, got dropped a few times, and then he took on Jimmy Rivera. And he got pretty much dominated in that fight as well. So, um, you know, th- that was the last time that he faced anybody in the top five in the Bantamweight division. Uh, and that was back in 2016. So this is three years later, and he's taking on an absolute beast in Peter Young, someone that's big, strong, hits hard, pushes an incredible pace. Um, I just think Faber, it's going to be too much for Faber. Um Faber does hit hard, so he's going to have a puncher's chance. And Jan is hittable because he's so aggressive. Um, so I'm not ruling out the possibility that Faber pulls something off. But I think the best chance for Faber is to to land a big shot and then go for that guillotine choke or something. Because I don't think Faber can stop Jan with punches. I think that Jan, even if he got hurt, would recover. Um, and I just think, uh, if you're trading punch for punch, it's probably Faber that's going to be going down. Uh, he is a little bit more chinny at this point in his career. So, uh, I'm going to side with Peter Yan. I think he gets the job done. I think he wins pretty one-sidedly, but, uh, again, you could never count out Uriah Faber because the last time we did, he, uh, made us all look pretty silly. Now, sticking with the Bantamweight division. We have Marlon Moraes, who is 22, 6, and 1, taking on Jose Aldo, who is 28, and 5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Moraes opened minus 175, the comeback, and Aldo at plus 135. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Moraes minus 195, the comeback, plus 155 on Aldo. So line march have tightened up a little bit more, actually coming in Moraes' way. It seems like there's going to be a, a lot of action coming in this. I mean, I think the sharper betters or the bigger betters are probably going to bet Marais, and I think the smaller betters are going to come in and bet um, on Aldo. I guess the more casual betters are going to take that dog price on Aldo. Of course, he's a household name, one of the best featherweights, one of the best fighters on the UFC roster of all time. I mean, you got to give Jose Aldo that kind of respect and credit. Let's not forget what he's accomplished throughout his career. Amazing, right? I mean, let's just get into it, though. I don't know how the heck he's going to make the Bantamweight limit. That's ridiculous. I mean, he was having issues back in the day making 145 pounds, but looks like he did. I worked out well for him. He made the limit. I mean, it's shocking, to be honest with you. How I never would have thought we'd see Jose Aldo at 135 pounds, 136 pounds. So credit to him. Um, I mean, that's just mentally wanting to do something, having the discipline to do that. That's, I mean, that's a first win right away. So making the weight cut for Jose Aldo, congratulations. I mean, that's... You know, win number one out of this for this weekend, I guess you could say for him for sure. Now, the next step is a tough one too as well. Marais is a beast, obviously. I mean, if you were going to look at it back in the day and say Jose Aldo versus Marlon Marais, who wins? I mean, everybody's going to, it's no brainer. Jose Aldo in his prime. Um, of course, he's going to be bigger, stronger, but now in the same weight class in 2019, it's amazing. I mean, Marais is the rightful favorite in this spot, you know, so I just don't know if we've seen 
the best from a race at this point, meaning I think that the best might be behind him as well. So I know a lot of people are thinking of Jose Aldo as a decline fighter. And again, father time catches up with all of us. And he's definitely caught up to Jose Aldo a little bit. But also, I think Moraes, the better days of him kind of are in the past maybe as well, because I think the World Series of Fighting Champion that we've seen Moraes, we I'm not sure if we've seen that in the UFC thus far. And I know that's unfair to say, because what we've seen from him has been pretty phenomenal, really. I mean, he comes into the UFC debuts and he gets that close split decision loss to a Sun Sal. Um, but then again, he follows up and he lost a, or he beat Dotson in a close decision. But after that, this is what I'm talking about. Those three quick wins. I mean, those quick finishes that he got. I wish I would have seen a little bit more from him in those fights as well. So all we have seen, let's, I mean, let's tell it like it is when they've hit the scorecards have been competitive decisions with Maurice. They've been competitive. And I think if this hits the scorecards as well, we're probably going to see another competitive decision because I think we're seeing something that's not typically what we're used to in Maurice. I think we are starting to see a little bit of him slowing down. I mean, the fight with Cejudo to me is kind of a head scratcher because I think obviously he went out there and he's, he was smashing Cejudo early in that fight. Round one was his, he looked phenomenal, but then round two, when Cejudo did start putting on the pressure and he connected, I mean, it changed the complexion of the fight and Ray started gas a little bit quicker as well. I mean, it was a grueling fight for him. Obviously he took a lot of damage. So, but it just didn't sit well with me. So what do we have with Marais? I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is even though he's, he's been in there with some good competition so far in the UFC, I guess I haven't seen enough of what he's capable of doing. I mean, like we have in the past with world Series fighting. So I, want to see that now he's facing a guy like jose aldo coming down in weight that's one of the all-time greats this is not an easy fight this is another one of these fights that's difficult for me at the betting window as well because i have a hard time believing totally in race at this point and then again i'm gonna have a hard time doubting aldo at this point as well even though he is making the weight cut as so for me this should be a fun fight i think race probably does get it done with pointing Aldo along the way and, you know, maybe even finishing a Jose Aldo at this point of his career as well. But I'm not confident enough to, to kind of predict it until it does obviously play out because I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding both fighters. So on the show on UFC on the line, I did mention this as well. This is one of those fights. I think that you could probably just sit back and enjoy and stay away from actually betting it because there's just a lot of question marks surrounding it. So that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to pick Marais to win because I think he should at this point. But I'm not confident here either, guys. I mean, let's face it. Jose Aldo could come in here and perform way better than we're all expecting him to, even if, if he is taking that drastic weight cut. So my pick is Maurice, but I'm expecting probably some good things from Aldo in this spot too. And I'm right with you. Uh, it seems like Jose Aldo was able to get that weight cut going. And for somebody that has had brutal weight cuts to make 145, he made 135. I mean, it's incredible. Um, I mean, he still looks, I mean, people have been talking about how he looks for like the past month, but, uh, say what you want, he made it. Um, so now we just have to see how he performs and that will be the real test. Um, you know, Aldo is getting up there in years and perhaps he feels that dropping down to Bantamweight could re-energize his career after, uh, you know, he lost, uh, you know, three title fights, basically. Um, but I just, I think this is going to be tough. This is tough. Marlon Moraes is a killer. Uh, you know, this guy has devastating head kicks, good punching power. Um, he's just ferocious on the feet. You saw that in the Cejudo fight. I mean, he had Cejudo in trouble. Uh, Cejudo was basically fighting on one leg. And then uh, Moraes just kind of punched himself out, being too aggressive, trying to take Cejudo out. Uh, he got tired and Cejudo turned the tables on him. And, uh, 
I don't think that happens here. I think Moraes stays a lot more composed. He has a lot of respect for Jose Aldo. Um, and you can't, you know, you can, uh, disrespect somebody like Aldo, um, and not get paid, not pay for it. So, you know, Aldo has, uh, brutal leg kicks as well, uh, good punching power. Uh, we've seen, uh, an increase in his aggression, uh, in his more recent fights at, at featherweight. Um, although Volkanovski was able to bully him a little bit over the course of three rounds and, uh, steal a decision. Now, uh, Maris, I just feel like he's going to hit a little bit harder and I think he can take a shot a little bit better. Um, you know, we've seen Aldo get knocked out. We've seen Aldo get hurt. Um, and dropping down a weight class, you know, you would think that that usually is not good for your chin. Um, so I think, uh, it makes it even potentially more likely that Aldo gets hurt or knocked out along the way. But, uh, these are two of the best strikers in the world at 135 and 145 pounds, respectively. And meeting at 135, uh, you know, anything could happen. So I'm not going to completely discount Jose Aldo and say he has no chance, uh, especially with uh, Marais coming off of a loss as well. Um, but I will say that I do think Marais gets the job done. So uh, I'm going to side with Marlon Marais. I think potentially knockout, but uh, he might play it a little safer after his most recent loss and try to cruise through to his decision. So I'm going to side with Marlon Marais, though. Now, sticking with the Bantamweight division and moving over to the women's side, we have champion Amanda Nunes, who is 18 and 4, rematching Jermaine de Rendon, who is 9 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Nunes at minus 303, the comeback on DeRandome, plus 225. Now, there are a few opening lines for these title fights that are flowing around. My personal opener was minus 300 for Nunes, plus 240 for DeRandome. So, line marks have tied up. Basically, 3-1 to one was the market opening price, and I think it was about right. So, right now, what you're seeing over at the Don Best screen per bet DSI is currently minus 300, plus 235. So, it is about right. It's been holding steady. I mean, it's been out for so long, and the line's kind of been floating around at that same spot and there has been a lot of action that's come in on this fight so again i think it's it's appropriately set maybe a little bit too high as far as skill set goes because de randami is is definitely one of the best strikers ever in, in fact in my opinion uh, a few years back she was the best striker in the sport in the female anyway class in the ufc roster outside i mean in mixed martial arts period de randami was the best striker and technically speaking she still might be but i'm saying might because I think right now, obviously, as far as effectiveness goes, as far as just, I mean, nastiness in the striking world goes, Nunes is definitely the one to look at because she got rid of who everybody thought was the Mike Tyson of the weight class and Cyborg. I mean, she just destroyed Cyborg uh, to the point where, honestly, I mean, say what you will, but it seems to me like Cyborg didn't really want that rematch heading over to Bellator. So, I mean, Nunes is just a beast right now. She's a confidence level is at an all-time high. Um, obviously in their first fight, I actually bet Deirandami in her first fight. Um, I thought she would probably keep the fight upright and be able to outstrike Nunes and get the W that way. I really was confident she would get it done. 
But when Nunez got inside, kind of slowed the fight down, got it to the floor, and, and, and then, you know, did what she did to finish that fight, I wasn't that shocked. I was disappointed, to say the least. Um, but it, it, this is 2019. I think it's a different scenario right now. I think Nunez is actually the more devastating and the more dangerous striker here. So she doesn't even need to take this fight to the floor at this point. So I think that might not be a bad idea still because that's going to be your easier path to victory for sure. Because De Rondami, again, I mean, she is – always going to be offensively she it's just so slick with accuracy with her angles i mean the pure technique she has power to go along with it as well she is a great striker this is going to be the hardest fight on the feet if it stays out up that way and, and plays out that way for Nunes as she's ever had i know shevchenko gave her all she can handle as well but again deiranami is going to be right there and, and she's going to be capable so it's probably a dog or pass situation in most people's mind i understand that but as far as the matchup again in 2019 for me, I think Nunez's power is going to be a little bit too much. If you're looking at Dame Rondami, she's not the same fighter she was back a few years ago. I think she's a little bit slower on the feet. She's a little bit more susceptible to getting hit. And I think even though she hasn't been knocked out, she's been kind of taking some damage. You could see it affect her at times if you look back at her last few fights. So. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said about that. And I think that Nunez is going to be probably a little bit too much on the feet for her. She's going to probably hit that knockout blow with the, at least stunner and then maybe be able to jump on something. So at this point, I just think Nunez is going to be a little bit too much for her. So I do have all that respect for Dan Rondami, as you guys all know. I just said it, but Nunez is going to probably finish this fight inside the distance. So again, I'm on the show for UFC on the line. Check it out. I do have a play for this fight as well. It's a prop play, um, but I do like Nunez to get this fight done. I think she keeps on to her title. She hangs on to her title. And, and what is, like I said, honestly, the most, probably the most, if not one of the most difficult fights in her career, but I still think she gets it done. So my pick is Nunez to retain the women's bantamweight title. And I completely agree. Uh, as Nick mentioned, you know, they fought way back in the day, uh, early UFC times, and um, Nunez was able to get some takedowns and got top position and was able to get the finish. But this time around, Nunez is just a completely different animal. Um, on the feet, she is just devastating. You look at who she's beat uh, on the feet. Um, she... Drops Misha Tate on the feet, chokes her out. She knocks out Ronda Rousey in a minute. Uh, Raquel Pennington, she won uh, in the fifth round by stoppage on the feet. Uh, then knocks out Cyborg in a minute. And most recently, uh, Holly Holm, another really talented striker. Uh, she head kicks her and takes her out in the first round. So Nunez is flying high right now. She is so confident in her skills. She hits as hard, if not harder, than any woman in the world at this point. Plus, she backs it up with speed. That's what helped her against Cyborg. I mean, she just got in Cyborg's grill and threw, and uh, Cyborg just couldn't keep up with her. So, uh, I think that that could happen right here. I, Randami is really good at distance fighting. I mean, she can crack. She has good counter-striking. Um uh, you absolutely saw what she's capable of in her uh, fight against Aspen Ladd. Uh, you know, 16 seconds and she drops her with a right cross. And, uh, you know, maybe the ref jumped in a little early, but, you know, that's a fighter in Aspen Ladd who, you know, just bounced back and got a quality win most recently. So, you know, this is, that was a huge win for Randami, really set the tone. Uh, and you look, Randami has won five fights in a row now. Uh, if you, go back. Uh, her last loss was Amanda Nunes uh, back in uh, 
2013. So, you know, Randami hasn't been the most active, but, uh, recently, you know, just really impressive against Aspen Ladd, um, and definitely deserves this opportunity. So, uh, the way I think this fight plays out is, you know, Nunes just gets in Randami's grill and starts throwing bombs. And if that doesn't work, I think Nunes can get takedown still and, that is definitely the easier path to victory. Randami is a bit of a fish out of the water when she's on her back. So if uh, Nunes wants an easy win, that should definitely be what she does. But uh, just most importantly, Nunes just needs to avoid fighting from distance because Randami, uh, you know, she can fight at 145 pounds and uh, utilize some that long reach uh, pretty well. So... If uh, Nunes can get inside, I think that she'd be in really good shape, and I think that's what happens here. Whether she gets inside to uh, crack Randami with big power, or whether she gets inside to uh, get a takedown. So, either way, I think that that will set up a finish for Nunes. So, Nunes is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division... We have champion Max Holloway, who is 21 and 4, taking on challenger Alexander Volkanovsky, who is 20 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Market opening price was around minus 200 for Holloway. The comeback on Volkanovsky plus 150. My opening line was minus 170 for Volkan or for Holloway, sorry, Volkanovsky plus 150. So basically similar. Um, overall, there has been some action coming in both ways, of course, and uh, the line got bet up over to 200. Now it's starting to come back down a little bit. And I think this is, again, a kind of an appropriately set line as far as the public goes, because I think that they're going to want to continue to come in on Holloway. And that's what the reports are early on. Uh, the more casual, the more, um, I guess, I don't want to say square action, but overall, because we're going to have, when you have a title fight of this caliber, when you have people with this skill set, they're going to have sharp action on both sides of almost every fight when it comes to a title fight like this, right? So it's, when I'm saying more squares are on the side, don't get offended out there if you're on the side that, that's said, because like I said, there is going to be true sharp action on both sides of this. But what I'm saying is the more casual fans right now are coming in and betting Holloway. So you got a little bit more square action coming in on Holloway and a little bit more of the sharp action coming in on Volkanovski. And, and I think that that's kind of the way to go here. And as crazy as that sounds, because I think Holloway, obviously one of the time greats, one of the best featherweights ever. I mean, between him and Jose Aldo, you know, I mean, you could definitely make a case for those guys um, either way. But of course, he's got those wins over Jose Aldo. So, I mean, featherweight has been... Max Holloway's world, really, and, and he's looked phenomenal. I mean, just the pace that he sets against people, I mean, his striking is where it's at, obviously. He's a phenomenal striker. He has a relentless pace. He pushes that pressure on you, and he makes people wilt under that pressure. People cannot take it. You know, he's got a little bit underrated power. He's a finisher. If you look at Holloway, he doesn't seem like he's got that one-punch knockout power, but if you look at his stats, I mean, he's one of the best finishers in the history of the featherweight division for a reason. So, that's the kind of pace, that's the kind of pressure, that's the kind of skill this guy has. Durability, I mean, the guy's phenomenal. He picks it up as the fight progresses. He gets stronger. He doesn't get weaker. So, that's kind of rare, and that usually has been working for him in his favor. But I think the matchup with Volkanovski in this spot, he's not going to be one of those guys. Volkanovski's not going to be one of those guys that kind of takes a back step as much as some of the other people. He's not going to be the one that kind of wilts under that pressure, I don't think, as much either, because I think he is a pretty conditioned fighter. We're going to see – I think he's durable as well, so we're going to see a lot of that, those traits that are good, that a lot of uh, the fighters that have faced Holloway in the past have kind of failed in that, those areas at times. Um, not all of them, of course, like Frankie Edgar. I mean, his conditioning is pretty much 
for the most part, always been decent, of course. But again, we're seeing a different version of Frankie Edgar. So I think a lot of people are making some comparisons. I might bring in Edgar up because they're going to say wrestling. Edgar has the wrestling. Edgar has the pace, whatever. But no, Volkanovski at this point of his career is a different threat than Frankie Edgar is as well. So I think Volkanovski is a powerful fighter. He's going to be willing to stand in the pocket and exchange, and he's going to be probably doing some damage along the way as well. So I, I like the way he matches up with Holloway. I mean, I think, like I said, Volkanovski can sit there. He won't take a, as much of a back step. He's going to be putting the pressure back on Holloway. I think if you look at similarities between fights, even though it was up a weight class, I think he could kind of follow Poirier's blueprint a little bit, where Poirier was kind of sitting in the pocket, trading with him, landing, doing some damage, pushing forward. He had Holloway on his back foot. I think Volkanovski at some points of this fight is going to do the same as well. So again, I think that this is a fight that matches up really well for Volkanovski. He can slow this fight down, pin him up against the cage, maybe get a quick takedown or two. It's not going to be easy to hold Holloway down. His takedown defense has got a lot better through the years. We know that. Uh, and then it's not going to be an easy fight no matter what, for sure. But I do think it's a dog or pass situation. And I'm going to pick Volkanovski to win this fight straight out. I think that his time is now. And I mean, the guy's legit. There's no question about it. And it's going to be a tough fight, but I'm, I think we are going to see a new champion crowned. So the pick is Volkanovski, and obviously there's going to be a little value that way as well. And again, I urge you guys to check out the breakdown on UFC on the line and on UFC Fight Pass. We went over in a bit more detail on that show as well. So check that out. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to go with uh, Max Holloway here. Uh, I know that Volkanovski has a unique skill set, but uh, I feel like Holloway has the ability to thwart what Volkanovski does. Uh, Volkanovski uses this forward pressure, uh, moving forward aggressively. He's not the best striker in the world, but he just wears people down with takedown attempts, with uh, trying to get you into the clinch, with uh, just attacking you against the fence. Uh, occasionally just throwing some big bombs. Um, and that has worked really well for him. It worked uh, against uh, Chad Mendez, uh, a fighter, you know, that he, he basically retired Mendez. Uh, Mendez started strong, but uh, Volkanovski wore him out. Uh, same thing with Aldo. Aldo started strong, Volkanovski wore him out. The problem is, I don't think he can wear out Max Holloway. Max Holloway is known for doing the exact same thing. He just wears people down with uh, his pace, with uh, the amount of strikes he throws, uh, the, the the strikes that he lands consistently. Um, now, I can see him being forced to fight on his back foot more often than he's, he would like, but I don't think Volkanovski has the overall striking skills to, to really make Holloway too worried on the feet. Um, I think Holloway will stand his ground at times and just start throwing down um, trusting his chin. Uh, and Volkanovsky has a granite chin as well, so this could make for some really exciting exchanges. Um, and Holloway has historically had a very good takedown defense and ability to get back to his feet when taken down. So will Volkanovsky be able to take Holloway down and keep him down? And I just don't think that he will. Um, I, I don't think he will be able to do it consistently, even if he does get him down. So, uh, overall, uh, the, the, the biggest strengths that Volkanovsky has, I feel like Holloway can neutralize them because his conditioning is so good. He fights at such a high tempo, um, that perhaps Holloway could be the first person to wear Volkanovsky down. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, landing the right shots. I mean, you land enough headshots, uh, you can slow somebody down. If Holloway mixes it up and goes to the body, 
uh, he really could uh, dig into uh, Volkanovsky's conditioning a little bit. So uh, I think this is a, a fascinating fight. It's a great stylistic matchup just because both guys push such a tremendous tempo. Um, it could lead to uh, you know potential record style of uh, a record amount of strikes being connected in a fight. Um, but I still think that at the end of the day, it's going to be Max Holloway still standing. Uh, I think uh, he's. I think it'll be tough for Holloway to get uh, a knockout, but I think that he'll do enough to uh, at least win enough rounds to take the decision. Um, I think Volkanovski is going to be game, but I think Holloway is up the challenge. So uh, Holloway is going to be my pick. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We have champion Kamaru Usman, who is 15-1, taking on challenger Colby Covington, who is also 15-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Market opening line was Usman minus 300, Covington plus 230. Again, that was marketing opening line. That was basically... Sportsbooks out there just trying to get this line up as quickly as possible, trying to get some marketing attention. Um, and you can't blame them. I mean, that's definitely a good business philosophy. I don't I have no objections with that. But as far as research goes, obviously it's not put into this line. I mean, opening Usman minus 300, despite you thinking he's going to win, is kind of ridiculous. So come back on coming to him plus 230. That was not my opening line. My opening Opening line was actually Usman minus 165, the comeback at Covington at plus 145. In fact, as soon as the, the line did get put out there, I had people just uh, messaging me and saying, what do you think about that line? I said, it's ridiculous. I'm not even going to stay close to minus 300. And I was right. You know, I mean, not trying to toot my own horn, but obviously those of you guys have been following the sport for a long time, betting fights, you all knew that that line was going to come down. There's no way that was going to stay at minus 300. So that said, right now, it is under two to one. It's around minus 175. Um, the comeback plus 155, uh, market price right now, bet DSI, it's, yeah, minus 185, 155. We're starting to see some action, a little bit coming in more towards Usman at this point, um, but there has been two-way action in this fight as well. So early on, the line did get bet down. Now we're starting to see it climb back up, and it'll bounce back and forth, continue to do so as well. This is a great fight, championship fight, of course. Both these guys have been you know, kind of work into this point for all we know. Uh, this is a highly anticipated bout. I mean, people have been wanting to see this. Unfortunately, it kind of fizzled out a few times on us, but now it's finally here. And I'm loving it because I think this is going to be just such an interesting fight. You have two similar fighters that are going to go in there and just with a relentless pace, with conditioning, with durability that are going to come in here and just put on an all-out war for probably five rounds. So that's what I love about this, first of all. Now, of course, as far as the line goes, I know a lot of people are going to be supporting Usman in this spot because, I mean, honestly, just what he did with Woodley. Nobody has ever seen Woodley get controlled and just out-muscled and out-gunned like he did in that fight. I mean, it wasn't even close. And it wasn't like Usman, you know, beat Woodley and it was a big surprise. It was the way he went about it. He just dominated Woodley from start to finish. It wasn't even a competitive fight, in my opinion. So that said... That's going to definitely take the stock on Usman to another level. I mean, people are expecting the strength, the brute strength of Usman to be enough to get him by in this fight overall. Because again, I mean, as far as tools go, I think Colby Covington probably is the more technical fighter 
across the board. I think he is the better striker. I mean, again, Usman's striking is definitely picking up and it's getting better and he's, he's getting more effective with it and he can definitely hang in there against Covington. I don't think Covington is going to blow him out of the water, but I think Covington is a little bit more diverse in his striking and I think he is the better striker overall. And uh, I mean, the Covington pace that he pushes is ridiculous as well. Most of Usman's striking does come from him kind of bowling his opponents up against the clinch, getting the fights to the floor. Most of his effective striking technique comes from him being on top. But that said, Covington, at a distance, if you look at some of the sets he's, um, that he has, I mean, he has, he's more effective actually in the distance as far as his striking techniques go. I mean, those like, stats don't lie and those are out there as well. So, I mean, you could kind of see that play out with the video footage as well. So I think in space, Covington is going to have a little bit of an advantage. Now, as far as the wrestling and the distance, is obviously going to have that brute strength advantage where he's going to probably try to neutralize Covington, maybe even take him down, control him that way. I just don't think it's going to be as easy to do as everybody thinks. I think for the most part, people think, and like I said, Usman's going to be the bully here. He's going to come in here and just do what he does, and, and Covington's going to get shut down. Covington's going to come to fight. He's not going to be easy to control, and I think this is going to be a very competitive fight. So I'm going to lean as far as a pure pick goes with Usman because I do think the strength probably is going to be enough to kind of edge him this fight and, and win him this fight, but it's a dog or pass situation at the betting window for me. I could not lay the chalk in, in something like this because I think that they're just far too competitive. I mean, their attributes just line up so well despite Usman having that strength advantage. I think that until we get in there and see him kind of play out, I mean, we can, we were not really that sure how it is going to play out in the, in the wrestling aspect and as far as these guys kind of pushing each other back and forth a little bit and pushing the pace and who's going to dictate, truly dictate this fight. We're all thinking it's going to be Usman based on what we've seen recently. But again, once they get in there, it could be a different story. And I think Colby's going to put up a better fight than everybody's anticipating. So my pick is Usman to get it done. But my bet would be on Colby Covington. It's a dog or pass situation in this spot. Yeah, and, and I have to side with Usman as well. Uh, Colby Covington is, uh, an extremely talented fighter, but, um, I just don't think that he has the pure talent of Usman. I think between the two of them, I think Usman is the better wrestler. I think Usman's the better striker. I think Usman is, uh, the better athlete. Um, that being said, I think Covington probably pushes a bit of a higher tempo, Usman, um, and Covington mixes things up a little bit better than Usman. When you watch Covington fight, um, he puts pressure on his opponents and he is just attacking with, uh, on the feet and then boom, shifts to a takedown, forces his opponent to defend the takedown, then he's back up top cracking him in the head. I mean, he just, it is constant, varied attacks and, that could potentially wear Usman down in a five-round fight. Um, so that is something that you really do have to consider because in a pure stand-up fight, I think Usman wins. In a pure wrestling match, I think Usman wins. But if Covington can just really force uh, Usman to work and mix things up constantly, um, this fight gets interesting in a hurry. So I'm right with Nick. I think this fight's crazy competitive. Um we also haven't seen Usman in a, in a hot minute since he uh, defeated to, uh, Woodley to take the belt. Uh, so that could play into it as well. And in the meantime, Covington's been out there just looking amazing in all of his fights. Uh, you know, he dominated Robbie Lawler. Lawler really couldn't get anything going. He dominated Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, made Maya look silly. I mean, just uh, Covington is definitely... Uh, getting better and better every time we've seen him. So you cannot take him, 
you know, cannot discount his skills here. So, uh, that being said, you know, Usman being such a tremendous athlete, I mean, I was really blown away with his performance against Woodley. Um, I thought that perhaps Woodley would be the one guy that was just that one level above both Usman and Covington. And Usman was just clearly the better fighter. Um, so I was blown away. And if he brings that type of performance and, uh, against Covington, if not, but perhaps better, uh, now that he's had some more time to keep working on things, uh, it could be a, a tough night for Covington because if Covington can't really threaten with his stand-up or with his uh, takedowns, you know, what's he really going to have? Um, so I'm, I'm going to side with Usman. I think, you know, I think he lands the cleaner shots on the feet. I think he does get top position at times. I think he can win the scrambles. But uh, I am not going to count out Covington because, again, he might be able to, you know, like I talked about earlier on this card, he might be able to wear Usman out, uh, especially in a five-round fight. And I don't think this fight does, uh, you know, I don't think this, there's a stoppage in this fight. I think both guys are durable. I think both guys uh, can go the distance. And uh, I can definitely see Covington winning the fifth round. It's just, can he win any rounds before that? So, uh, Usman's going to be my pick, but again, I'm a little nervous because of uh, what we've seen out of Covington recently. So, that'll do it for a full event breakdown for UFC 245. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to at MMAOB Premium on Twitter, because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsBreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Special thanks to BetDSI. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.